Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Next week is the final episode before we begin our big 500th episode bash. But while we're hard at work putting the finishing touches together, I wanted to give you another sneak peek of what we've got in store. If you've been with the podcast for some time, you know we've had our share of ups and downs over the years and the podcast has evolved tremendously since it started back in 2012. That's almost 10 years worth of frightful tales under our belt, and plenty of different voices and incredible talents have graced both the airwaves and behind the scenes. As a 500th episode bonus for our Patreon subscribers, we've got a special little trip down memory lane with the man who you've mostly got to blame, for being stuck with me for the last two and a half years. Stephen Kilpatrick and I had a chance to get together for a chat to discuss the history of the podcast and bring you a peek behind the curtain to see where the podcast has been, and maybe even a little of where it's going. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll have access to this special retrospective right around the time we release episode 500. 
And if you're not a patron yet, well, there's never been a better time. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify. But for tonight, I think we've got some nightmares to induce. Let's get to it, shall we? Our first story for the evening comes from Dan Klefstad. Dan Klefstad is a longtime radio host and newscaster at NPR station WNIJ. His latest novel, Fiona's Guardians, is about humans who work for a beautiful, manipulative vampire and was released in October of 2020. His latest short story, Who Killed Publishing, has almost nothing to do with vampires. You'll find it in the summer 2020 edition of Literary Heist. He writes in DeKalb, Illinois, and Williams Bay, Wisconsin. He is Burton Mayer's book's first U.S. author. Children of the Night, join me for Dan Klefstad's Stay Dead, a Tales to Terrify original. I was starving. I couldn't help it. Camilla wipes blood from her chin and points. He's in the car. You had ten pints before you left the house. My stump finds one jacket sleeve, while my left arm fumbles for the other. How could you be starving? Okay then. He was delicious. What's wrong with enjoying a snack? A Corvette convertible sits at the edge of the park. Red finish partially lit by a perfect half moon. I lower my voice. Front or back seat? There is no back seat. Where is he then? The boot, or whatever you Yanks call it. Please say the interior isn't white. Okay, it's some other color. Don't play with me. You're the one who's playing. Her bare feet are silent on the grass. In contrast... My loafers seemed to find every leaf that gave up the ghost during the drought. I shine a light inside. It's like Jackson Pollock. Fiona was never this messy. You don't work for her anymore. She folds her arms. And I like Jackson Pollock. Did you forget our agreement? I raise money to buy blood, and you don't kill anyone. We don't need police sniffing around. I open the trunk to see a man in a polo shirt and plaid shorts. He looks 35, maybe 40. Camilla leans her torso against the fiberglass and runs her hands over it. I want this car. This car is a crime scene. We have to ditch it. Not we. I swallow the bitter truth and take out the man's wallet. Ooh. She sidles up. Make it look like we robbed him. Clever. Camilla's been watching a new police show. Maybe it's an old one. Those procedurals are all the same. 30 seconds in, someone finds a body. After the first commercial, detectives arrive, and we learn about the deceased. 10 minutes later, something threatens to derail the investigation, which leads to the climax. A pithy observation follows, 
and the show ends just as you empty your glass. The wallet opens and my thumb lands on metal. Oh God, please, no. I inhale sharply, preparing myself for the worst case scenario. Flashlight in my teeth, I look down. Fuck me. That's not in our agreement. Camilla snaps back, and she groans as her hands encircle her belly. (sighs) I'm too full anyway. You killed a cop. Okay. I stare at her, flashlight dangling like a cigarette. Finally, I remove it. Cops never stop looking for their own. Oh, Jesus Christ. I slam the trunk and turn away, gathering my thoughts. Camilla is only six months old, but Fiona warned me she'd always be reckless. I can't believe I signed up for four years of this. Is that what I think it is? Cool. It's best if I hide the body several miles from the car, but I haven't used a shovel since losing my arm. And Camilla? She's allergic to work. Just now, though, I remember a secluded lake half an hour from here. Perhaps we could find weights to keep him down. Bang! The fuck? I whip around to see smoke curling up from a pistol. Camilla can't stop laughing at the hole in her left hand. I shot myself. Her excited eyes meet mine. Coppers back home don't carry these. Give it to me. No. I'm gonna keep it. You have no need for a gun. We're in America now. She waves it in front of me. Everyone needs a gun. Camilla. I need you to give that to me. Her face moves right up to mine. You're not the boss. I feel the barrel against my ribs. I am. Remember? If you kill me, you're on your own. I stare back. Think you can survive? Our standoff lasts several seconds. Finally, she grins, exposing sharp canines. You're right. She turns and walks away. You're always right. She tosses the gun in the bushes. Have fun with this mess. It's after seven when I get home. Camilla went to bed an hour ago. Everyone else on our street is scurrying to work or wherever normal people go when the sun comes up. In the kitchen, I pour myself a scotch, noting I have two hours before my alarm goes off. That's when I place my orders with hospital workers who still blood for us. Before my nap, I walk down the corridor and turn the handle to Camilla's room to make sure it's secure. I always have the bolt installed on the inside to protect my employer when they're most vulnerable. To her credit, Camilla always locks it, so maybe there's hope. When I return to the kitchen, I see a letter from Rome on thick, faded stationery. Dear Daniel, how's life in the new world? Is Camilla behaving herself? At least enough? Despite her wild ways, I remain confident that you'll guide and protect my progeny during these difficult early years. I just hope she's paying you enough. Speaking of money, I'm enclosing a check which should help with surprise expenses. I do hope you can return to me someday. My current guardian possesses only a fraction of your expertise. All the best, Fiona. The check is for $10,000. Not much in our world. Still, it might be enough if I were to abandon my duties and fly to the equator where the sun shines 12 hours every day.
No doubt, a spurned Camilla would risk everything to retaliate. Fiona, ever more cautious, would send human assassins, though she knows most lack my experience. I reckon I could hide for months thanks to secret deposit boxes filled with cash, false passports and gold. I'm still calculating my chances when I hear Camilla. Hey. I turn and see her door slightly open. My eyes immediately go to the window shades to make sure they're down. Yeah. Can we talk? I walk to her room and see a teary eye staring out. What's wrong? I'm sorry. For what? For being difficult. I'll forgive you. Eventually. She sniffles. It's just that I'm so unprepared. Her eyes roll. That's probably obvious to you, but I'm finding it hard to adjust to this. I understand. Fiona said it took a couple of decades. Try to get some sleep. I can't. This is new. Fiona always slept through the day. Want some bee positive? No. What are you drinking? Whiskey. You wouldn't like it. Can you sleep with me? Just for a little while. Um, I know it's not part of our agreement. I've never slept with a monster like me. I sigh. You're not a monster. You sure? Yeah. I just need someone to hold me. An icy hand takes mine. Please? I let her lead me in. We face each other for a few seconds. She in silk pyjamas. Me in slacks and a button-down shirt. Before she lifts the covers and slides in, I remove my shoes and lay down next to her. Spoon me? The last time I did this, decades ago, I had two arms and one grew numb. Now I see how one arm can be a benefit. I press my chest against her back and feel her relax. Please don't leave. You want me to stay all day with you? You can go once I'm asleep. Just don't take off permanently. I don't know what I'd do on my own. Both her hands press mine against her chest. God, I hate being so dependent. Everyone depends on someone. Oh yeah? Who do you depend on? I... Touche. She turns her body, eyes searching mine. I'm here for you. I just need to know what you need. The next evening, I'm reading the news, swiping at my tablet when something catches my eye. A story about a body, drained of blood, in an alley. Enraged, I push open a door and hold up the tablet. You did it again! She's in her closet, topless, sifting through dresses. Hello? That door still means something. What do you want? I step in. Someone sucked dry a body last night. It's all over the news. We're exposed. I didn't do that. Then who did? She's smiling when she faces me. Congratulations. She kisses my cheek. We're parents. What? It's a miracle. Still smiling, both of her hands take mine. Remember that copper in the sports car? The one you killed and I dumped in the lake? I'm calling him Austin. Hope you like the name. 
He's alive and living nearby. My breathing becomes shallow as I extract my hand and grab her upper right arm. Are you saying you sighed that cup? We sighed him. We had sex and I drank his blood. His name was Officer Jared Brown. And we had sex after you killed him. I don't remember the order. I don't know how this works. But aren't you happy? We have a son. She tries to move. Looks at my hand gripping her arm. And locks eyes with me. Let go. Walk me through it. You were alone with him in the car and you drained him. When did you give him your butt? I can't remember. Her breasts sway as she yanks herself free. Really? I thought you'd be happy. At least for me. I didn't think I could sire someone. Camilla, listen. You brought a being into this world that we can't protect. We brought him into this world. And once the police catch him, they'll start looking for others. But you can teach him to survive. Like you're teaching me. I can't protect you and him. It'll be easy once you get to know him. Know him? Stop acting like I'm his father. Blood pools in her eyes and her body shakes. She points toward the door. Get out. I point at her before I leave. We will talk about this tonight. Get out of this house. Finally, something I agree with. Fiona's check is still in the kitchen. I pocket that and grab my tablet. My go bag is under my bed. I open that and feel for the pistol at the bottom, a trophy from a battle that seems ages ago. I pull that out, release the magazine, and dump it on the table. Regular bullets. Reaching back inside the bag, I find the other mag containing wood-tipped rounds. One through the heart is all that's needed. My lone hand places the empty pistol over the magazine. With one push, I secure it in the grip. Moments later, I'm driving to the neighbourhood where the latest body was found. I'm testing that TV trope that says a criminal always returns to the scene of the crime. The alley is easy to spot with yellow police tape littering the ground. I get out, stuff the gun behind my belt, and begin walking, occasionally looking through a thermal imager. It takes five minutes to find him. He's still wearing the polo and plaid shorts, although this time, he's 28 degrees and walking several paces behind a woman, registering 98.6. He glances back, making eye contact, and I see him struggle. He knows I'm there for him but senses the woman is an easier target. Consumed by hunger, the two-day-old continues his pursuit. I quicken my pace, seconds away from rendering mortal this thing Camilla hoped would live forever. No doubt she'll come after me for killing our child, for shattering the illusion that it could bind us forever. Reckless as usual, she'll disregard her safety and the universe will respond. There's a reason most vampires die before their first year. What a shame she won't last. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'll miss those emerald eyes that flash from commanding to questioning within a second. And if this morning never happened, I wouldn't know how easy it is to forget her annoying behaviour. All I'll remember now is the curve of her slender figure, the weight of each breast, and the smell and feel of her hair. The way she tasted. This is all my fault. 
I broke the first rule of guardianship, and I'm about to commit the undead equivalent of infanticide. Nevertheless, I hope Fiona and Camilla decide it's easier to let me go, as long as I keep quiet. After all, I made a career out of helping them cheat death. Don't I deserve to spend my remaining years in peace? Yeah, like that would ever happen. As dawn approaches, the rational part of my brain knows I'll be dead in a week. So it really is a question of who gets to end my life. For the first time, I see mortality as a gift. One that releases you from the burden of facing consequences. Of being judged and found unworthy. And, of course, all those haunting memories could finally disappear. But if I must die, so too will this feral creature who'd keep on killing night after night because no one is left to civilise him. My pace quickens as I free the pistol, ready to end a life that can only be described as a mistake, born of ignorance, with no chance of success. Well, you poor bastard. I can't promise much right now, but I can guarantee your return to inert matter will be as quick and painless as possible. For this, Officer Jared, or Austin, or whatever you call yourself. You are welcome. Just stay dead. That was Dan Clefstad's Stay Dead, as read by James Barnett. James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horrors, is the creator-slash-host-slash-producer of the Night's End podcast. When he's not banging his head against the monitor while editing audio, he scribbles horror stories. Check him out at jamesbarnettauthor.com or the Night's End podcast at nightsendpodcast.com. Night's End Podcast is a short story podcast. With a focus on dark speculative fiction, it hopes to leave you wishing for the night's end before each story is through. Thank you, James. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Our second tale tonight comes from Teal Greyhavens. Teal Greyhavens is a screenwriter who grew up barefoot running around the woods of Eugene, Oregon. He now lives in Los Angeles, where he writes feature films, including, yes, some horror movies. If you like, you can check out more of his work by looking up Ink Run Films online. The story we're about to hear is an extra special one, an early birthday present dedicated to Teal's wife, Ruth. Happy birthday, Ruth. Now, children of the night. Listen with me to Teal Greyhaven's Remain Seated, a Tales to Terrify original. There are three of them, laid out on a plate like neat little cutlets of sushi. Only these are stale graham crackers jammed with chunks of cold, flaky chocolate, as months-old marshmallow slowly seeps out onto the ceramic. The guard shakes his head as he hands you the plate. S'mores, you gotta be kidding me. This is what you asked for, and some part of you has to give them credit for at least trying for not throwing the request back in your face. Still, the guard chuckles derisively as he slides the enormous metal door closed again. You don't even look up. Instead, you close your eyes as you bite into the dry cracker, searching for that rush of feeling, waiting for the sensory connection to move from your tongue to whatever dim portion of the brain houses half-remembered nostalgia. And it works. You find yourself falling, slipping backward, to the first, was it the only, time you ever pulled a s'more, a real s'more, from a roaring fire. The memory seems as if it belongs to another life, not because of the number of years in between, or because of the grimy cell you're now in, but because it was part of your life. Before, before the void. It was July or August, on the shores of that lake in Oregon where the sands shimmered green in the afternoon. There was a girl, as there always is in adolescent summer camp memories. A marshmallow dripped free of its stick and smeared a white mark on her jeans. She looked up and laughed Her cheeks glowed in the flickering light. When the stars came out, she pulled you by the hand out onto the lake, to the end of the dock. You collapsed together, and her hair tickled your lip as you lay back, heads tilting up at the sky. The water all around was flat as a mill pond and murky black. 
The Milky Way arced from the line of trees all the way across the lake to the far shore. It was the kind of night sky that made a person gasp, gasp to be reminded that all this was up there, hidden behind the streetlights back at home. She said something that made you giggle, and you noticed your heart beating against the wooden deck. Then, the first sensation was of movement grinding to a halt. That teenage energy, that fidgety enthusiasm. Suddenly, it all slowed, like being dipped in molasses. You turned your head to look at her, and it felt like running in a dream. A curtain of gray fog closed around the dock. Her head was turned away, your hand reached out to touch her in slow motion, and she turned. She was a creature with no face, pale flesh drawn over her mouth and eyes and nose. Something pulled her away from you, into the black water. You didn't scream, didn't think of it. You looked up at the sky and saw an empty void. The dock sank into black ink rushing around your ankles. There was a whisper like a breath of wind urging you down with it. You stood up without realizing and started to move down the length of the dock, shuffling, plodding, as if you were something enormous. By the time you got to the end, you could see and taste the world again. But something was stuck inside you, a lethargy that couldn't be touched, lingering like cobwebs. The next time it came, there was something inside with you. You were stumbling up a beer-soaked lawn, pushing through a haze of smoke, giddy and delirious with the rush of freshman year. This was the first weekend, at one of those giant, stately old houses that would have once been the pride of a neighborhood, now filled with vomit and bong juice on a weekly basis. Sweaty faces smiled and waved as you clambered up onto the porch. You were following your new friends, Jess and Adam, the people you thought you'd be spending the rest of the year with, maybe the next four years. This was the night. Inside the house, bodies turned toward you, dancing, thrashing, lips parted and grinned. Then the fog came. Suddenly you were pushing through a milky membrane, like walking underwater. Your eyes scanned slowly. There was a strobe light somewhere. When it flashed across the room, all the faces had been erased. Blank flesh snapped into the back of your eyes. All the figures started moving toward you. Muffled sounds filtered through the fog, as though the empty faces were screaming behind their skin. Then, somewhere behind them, something moved. A form, indefinable, like your own shadow. You felt a weight pressing you down, the uncontrollable urge to sit down. It would be so easy to just sit. That's when you realized you were being told to. There was an echoey voice coming from the shadow. You can stay. What is this? You murmured.
your own voice sounded thrown, detached. The thing replied, The void. As you watched yourself sit down on the gray floor, the featureless beings seemed to fade. The circle receded, drawn into the darkness. Why am I here? You can stay, it repeated. The more you stay, the easier it gets. You try to follow the voice, a vague form like a breath moving through the fog. I am always here. Then your knees were unbending as you watched. You pushed against the membrane, lifting your feet as those spider webs held them down. Without realizing it, you were outside. The wind seemed to brush the layer of dust away from your face. The shadow was pulling at your shoulder. Then you were out, standing on the beer-soaked lawn. There was something instinctive, something primal about the way you fought against the void in the beginning. It wasn't an act of will, more like an animal fighting against a snare. When the fog came, it brought an overwhelming desire to stay, to sit down, to do nothing, to become nothing. A metallic clanging sound turns your head. The guy with the weird ear slides the gate open, steel grinding on steel. Let's go. You stand up and step out of your cell. Two more guards flank you as you start to make your way down the hall, boots echoing on the concrete floor. This corridor never felt so short. The guard's hand on your shoulder feels like it's pushing, making you go faster. Stop pushing. You never finished those four years of college. Jess and Adam didn't speak to you much after that night. You never knew what you did, how it looked on the outside when you fell into the void. But afterward, you sensed empty space around you. People kept their distance. Sometimes you would find yourself talking to someone who had been there when it happened, and you would swear you could still hear that muffled screaming behind their voice. Your mom prepared your old room for you, said you could stay in it until it went away, until you got better. You tried to go outside, deep roots wrapped around your legs. Again, you fought and broke free. You got a job at a supermarket. A customer's face turned to ash. When the manager told you to leave, the shadow was there, lurking somewhere behind him in the fog. There's nothing for you out there, it said. Stay here with me and you can rest. You turned and pressed your body forward, pushing past the manager, knocking him to the ground, fighting toward the automatic sliding doors. It came once while you were swimming in a pool and you nearly drowned. 
It came when your mother screamed and cried at the doctor who had no answers, then turned and told you to stop torturing her. The words wrapped in her own flesh as her mouth covered itself over, and your hearing shrank to a whine. That was the first time it came as a relief. Still, you fought it. You always fought your way out. You imagined that if you hadn't fought the first time, it would have been much easier to just give in. Now it was habit, part of the cycle. The fog descended, and your muscles clenched in slow motion, like escaping from a dream. And each time you got out, you stood looking at the world outside and thought it seemed a little more gray than before, like a photograph bleached in sunlight. In time, you figured out that it was easier to bear when there was no one around. You moved into a small apartment and kept it empty, so you could push in any direction when it came. Without the empty faces, you could almost convince yourself it was just a matter of walking into the next room. You went out less and less. You got a job as a security guard at an office building where no one stayed late. You shopped at the supermarket after dark and ate meals alone. But still, the void always came. You crashed through the plate glass of the lobby door in the middle of the night. The demon had wrapped a cold tendril around your leg, pulling you down into the floor. You tried to get a new job at a warehouse. The guy with the beer belly and the cigarette dangling from his lips reported you were fucking creepy to the floor chief. You started to fight less and less. What was there to fight for? Another overcast day shuffling across the bleached concrete to cash an unemployment check, not daring to say hello to the fat woman who lived next door and was always out on her stoop. You looked down at your feet, wading through the shapeless mist, and tried to figure out when the void ended and the pavement began again. The real world, vibrant, lush, teeming, noisy, began to seem vague as a childhood dream. One night, instead of pushing, you sat down on your kitchen floor and let the fog pour into you, down your mouth, into your nose, freezing your lungs. So easy just to sit. The shadow thing swirled in close and made a sound in your ear like breathing black smoke. Your chest turned cold, and then you felt it sweeping up through your spine into your head, and you thought, maybe you had always been here. That time, you stood up, gasping for air. For the first time in years, you could feel blood pumping in your veins. It was as if you had stuck your head through a thin membrane and finally perceived the bottomless pit on the other side. When you stepped up to that street corner the next day, 
you felt a surge of adrenaline, a flash of pure presence. You imagined the shadow thing was watching from somewhere, writhing at the thought of you doing something so unpredictable, so reckless, so alive. A car screeched its tires as you crossed the intersection, leaving black marks on the pavement. The weight of the gun in your hand felt heavy and indistinct, like liquid. You shot a woman inside the bank that day. There was someone shouting, a security guard, and then a man with a beard, some movement from the corner of your eye. You don't remember exactly. Everything was a blur of nervous energy. Your eyes felt dry. You must not have blinked the entire time, trying to stay focused. Then someone moved. They were rushing toward you. At least, that's what it looked like. All you know is what they told you. They said you shot a woman with curly hair named Susan who turned out to be pregnant. But you don't remember Susan. The first thing you remember is the little bits of pavement digging into your cheek as they pressed you down outside. When the delousing powder splashed onto your head weeks later, you finally let the thought come in full force. Why hadn't the void descended as you stood on that corner? Why hadn't your legs turned to tree trunks and stopped you from striding across that intersection? Had the shadow been watching you, not panicking, but rather grinning in anticipation? They gave you your own cell. That's what they do when you're sentenced to die. But years came and years went, and every night you returned to your cell, instead of walking down that long hallway that no one comes back from. And slowly the gallows began to seem like just a faint idea, a thing at the bottom of a list that you might get around to someday, but not today. So you embraced your new routine. Up, count, food, yard, count, bed. You began to speak with the guys next door and across the hall without ever really seeing them. You started exercising using muscles you had never thought of, climbing out of bed in the morning and making yourself sweat. You started reading, books that you remember faceless creatures barking about in classrooms when you were younger. The void came once in the early months, while you were out in the yard. No one batted an eye at you, just another guy having a fucking freak out. It came once when the guard with the weird ear was leaning in, shouting spit at you. The gray curtain descended, and he punched you in the stomach, livid at your disrespect, snapped you right out of it. Now, the void hasn't come in four years. Four years and two months, it must be. Is this what it took for you to feel human again? All this time in a place that must be hell to most people. You tried not to think about it, but you were almost starting to feel human again.
The door with the glass window slides horizontally. You find yourself thinking about how some of the paint must scrape off along the bottom every time it opens. More faces turn toward you on the other side. The guard with the chipped tooth. A new guy you've never seen before. Fresh as a turnip. This is all part of the routine. The stomach-lurching cycle has been bored into you for years. Three times before, you've come within a week of walking down this hallway. Once, they actually got you out of your cell, just like now. But that sleaze in the $2,000 suit is good. He always comes up with something. You'll be back in bed within an hour. Maybe you'll even have time to finish the chapter you were reading before bed. Another step forward. Your foot falls on the concrete. The sound is delayed. You look down. The chain between your legs swings in slow motion. Your other foot lands. The sound echoes, but it's wrong, like sinking in wet snow. You look up at the hallway. The door with the glass window has vanished in fog. The hand on your shoulder sends a chill through your chest. You turn your head slowly to the side. A creature that was once a guard turns a mass of scarred flesh to face you. There's a hissing sound. The hand on your arm moves up toward your neck. Its fingers have fused together. It's a pale stump grabbing at you as another faceless thing leans in. It coils a black leather strap around your arm. Something presses into your elbow a padded surface rising out of the mist. With it comes a droning sound, a deep, beastly rumble that seems to fill the fog. This is it. It's back. The instinct to fight returns. Something pulls tight around your leg. You look down. A thing without a face looks back at you. Another black strap cinched around your ankle. That screeching sound, like a train horn in the distance. You try to sit up, try to stand, and pull against the tree roots and wade through the mud and push your way outside like you always do. You can feel your muscles clenched and willing to flee the dream, to run until you wake up. But the straps, you can't move. You're already in the room. They're going ahead with it. A surge of white-hot panic boils inside you. Not here. Not inside this place. Not with that thing. Somewhere, a phone is ringing. You turn your head and look up. Through the fog, you can see a wall and a window. A fluorescent light. There's a thing wearing a necktie. An expensive suit pounding against the glass shouting something through the misshapen flesh on its face. The phone rings again. Why are they? Something cold presses into your arm. You look down. There's a hand made of shadow and darkness coiling around your wrist, turning it upward. That's no guard. Time to stay that disembodied voice. 
No, you managed to gasp. The thing at the glass is still yelling. There are others with it now. Through their muffled screams, you can feel their urgency, the desperation on the other side. They're trying to stop this. It's not supposed to happen. But the faceless guards can hear nothing. A pale hand lifts the syringe. A bead of amber syrup slips from the needle tip. You watch it fall into the haze. Just relax. The raspy voice sounds like it's inside your own head. They'll be gone soon. And then it will just be us. The shadow is curled around the faceless guard's shoulder, a tendril of smoke wrapped around his arm, the one holding the syringe. The thing is making them do it. Stop! You can't be sure if the words left your lips or if it was a whisper in your mind. When you try to say it again, the thought is gone. You've stayed still too long. The mist is flowing into your throat, into your nose and eyes. The cold fog pours into you, and you're sinking. The pit of your stomach drops to the floor, and the floor pulls away. And your eyelids close, and when they open, the empty faces have disappeared into the mist, and the shadow is floating far overhead, receding like sunlight over water, as her mind fills with gray, empty, calm. And you wonder for half a second why you ever fought. Whatever could have been so very important. And then your eyes close, and they never knew how to open. And this, this is where you are supposed to be. That was Teal Greyhaven's Remain Seated, as read by Andrew Gibson. Andrew was found on the side of the road by an elderly woman who nursed him back to health with cookies that totally weren't laced with hallucinogens. As such, she's totally fine and totally doesn't derive sick pleasure from being creepy and weird. He also reads audiobooks and stuff. For most genres, Look for Andrew Gibson on Audible. If you want him to whisper sweet nothings into your ear, or if you have an oral fixation, search for Blake Lockhart instead. Thank you, Andrew. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now, Tales to Terrify is made possible 
by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, aka Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy. Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout-outs and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into the show to help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we open the forbidden box for more Tales to Terrify. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.